Hey there to all the sportos, motorheads, geeks, sluts, bloods, wasteoids, dweebies, dickheads, and fellow watchers. It's that time of the week again, born to watch. We're three old mates, one an ex-video shop owner, one an industry insider, and one a black belt in 80s kung fu movies. Talk movies as if they were back in their prime again. We've mentioned many times before the quality that is 1986, and we're going back to the well again with the seminal teen movie, Ferris Bueller's Day Off, a movie that dared to ask, what does the perfect day off school look like? And would you waste time eating wanky food at a French restaurant? At least one stage in every teenager's life, we thought about taking an unscheduled day off school. Some of us acted on that instinct and now spend their time recording movie podcasts. Others did not and have gone on to more successful and much more profitable careers. Let's meet my fellow righteous dudes and find out when they were introduced to Ferris Gow. Ed Rooney. How good's Ed Rooney? He's the highlight. Yeah, he's good. Yeah. Good evening, everyone. Great to be back. Looking forward to dissecting this one. Haven't watched this in a little while, but eh, good rewatch. We'll get into it, it. It's aged rather well. It has aged. Dan, you introduced me to this one. How are you going? Uh, I just want to say, Gow, how come you always pick fucking legend movies? Like, what an incredible choice by you, G-Money. Yes, I did introduce Whitey to this back in the day. You very cuttingly suggested that I may have pictured myself as the protagonist in this film when I was a young bloke. I, we all know that I was really shit at a lot of things, really deluded, a bit of a fuckwit back in the day, but it was very fun to go back and see this. I hadn't seen it for a couple of years for sure, but oh my God, notable quotables. The entire film is notable quotables for me. I can literally, my brain's fucked, as we all know. I have, unfortunately, due to my, my, my penchant for entertainment over the last 30 years, has meant that I have uh, pissed away a lot of the memories that make it very difficult for me to rap with you boys on films. But this film, I knew exactly what every fucker was going to say before they said it, and it was just a brilliant, brilliant go back down nostalgia alley with uh, with the cast. It was fantastic. So, Gal, well done for always picking sick movies. Oh, too little, too late, Morgs. <laughs> You've done your day. I've been, as we know, I'm not on the social medias, but I did check our MySpace page and I've been getting a fucking hizzling this week for giving it to our friend, the G-Man. Now, you've all got to understand that when I say other shit things at Gals, they're actually things that we love about the gym. G, I just wanted to clear that up just in case you were going to drop bombs of photos of me from the 80s. Shit things that I like, shit things that I've done, because that would be a very long podcast. There's some things in the works. Don't worry about that. I don't really think that was that harsh the other night. I've heard those things for 30 years. This, the Born to Watch Senior Management have talked. We held a, an emergency board meeting throughout the week, and there will be an opportunity in the coming weeks for Gao to retort and do shit things that, that Morgs does that no Excellent. one likes. We'll need it should, to, I, I, it'll need to be a special feature. I think that'll be I a think, downloadable yeah, podcast. It's a, it, that'll be for our Patreons once we start <laughs> our Patreon. So anyway, look, as we mentioned earlier, that Dan did introduce me to Ferris Bueller. I was not huge on the John Hughes revolution. So I hadn't watched a lot of them as a young man, but I do remember one of the first things that we watched up at 31 Woodward was Ferris Bueller and was thinking, where has it been all my life? Very cool. Unlike Dan, I did try to be a lot like Ferris and was 
a very good Wagger of school. I've, we spoke a little bit about last week. We did mention that, but yes. well, look, I don't know. Obviously, we've got to kick off and get into it. But Breakfast Club, remember that? That's one of my five video cassettes. It is. That we used to watch on, obviously, a John Hughes bit and Beloved. Weird science, though. Surely the three of us watched Weird Science. Yes. Was that, yeah. yeah, like, yeah. That, that must have been another but, one but, that was big for us. But, but like, we're talking like this is probably late 80s, like 89, 90 is probably the first time I saw this. It had been out a few years. I've been out four years, five years before yeah. I'd really seen it. And it's the same with most of the John Hughes stuff. I didn't really get into it. You did try to go through a beret phase, though. No, that try, was Damo. Try to work it. That was Damo. I can so, imagine Damo smashing. My it. phase, my favourite phase of mine was uh, cut off trackies, footy socks, and masseur sandals. That was my favourite phase. Was that the? Were they the ones with the massaging? Of course, with the nodules. Yeah, what's oh, the point of getting the God, flat yeah. ones? Get the nodules. Wasn't not sure it was Moggy Two Hundred Two's favourite phase. Was not. So still, still did all right. Did all right. Okay, so we're going to set the overs and unders here. Reasonable. I've said thirty-five. We'll start with you up there on the land, Dan. Over and under oh, thirty-five. I, I would have to smash that. Like, there's not many movies that I can literally verbatim quote. Like, I did not. I, Sam, my wife, watched it with me the other night, and she got the shits because I was literally preempting every single line in this. There was not one scene I didn't. I didn't know was going to pop up. There, this would have to be this and Top Gun. I think would be the two movies that I can confidently recite. And if someone held a gun at my head, who, who's that SAS fucker that just used to shoot Afghans? If he was pointing, Ben Robert Smith, yeah. If he was shooting his <laughs> minigun at me, and he said, "Mate, you better recite this film verbatim, or else you're gonna get a you're gonna get a bullet in the scone," I'd be I'd back myself in that. Okay. What about you, Gal? Over or under thirty five? Oh, over thirty five. Yeah, over thirty five for sure. We're talking 80, 86. 86 yeah. is movie. Yeah, no, definitely seen it. Watched this a lot, and I've seen it a lot over the years. Same with me. Like you quote, and we've quoted this. We all three of us have quoted this movie all the time. There's yeah. so many lines out there. Keep coming. Every up. gal, I've heard every single quote of out of every single character you've said to me in our lifetimes. It was like I was listening to you just drop calls on me. It was very cool. To the point where I told my boys last night that Matt White or Morgs has walked into a room and said, "Oh, there's a footy game on. What's the score?" And I just say, "The Bears." <laughs> And everyone knows what we're talking about. It's oh, well, quite funny. So I, I would, too, be over 35. This was a video shop, darling. Very easy to put on. Could watch it at any time. Good for the whole family from ages four through to 400. But watching it this time, I found a new line that I'd never heard before. The same Who's as wrong? with This Is 40. We had the discussion about This Is 40. And I am going to put that clip up on the socials for This Is 40. which Oh, get it up there. Almost wet my pants. But this one is when the parents come home and Jennifer Grey is home and she's been in trouble because she sped home to beat Ferris and yep. she's getting busted because she's been in the police station and, and the mum and dad are home and she's going, oh, I had to go pick her up from the police station and I lost the deal. And the dad just goes, I guess we're going to have to shoot her. And again, laughed out loud, cacked out loud. I'm like, I don't know whether I'm having a moment of morgues but I'd not heard that line before and found it very funny. It's, it, look, it's not one of the top quotes for sure. But, no, it's uh, not. But when you've heard yeah. all the quotes and you heard all the lines and then you hear something that you'd never heard before, it's not quite that this is 41. It was pretty good. I laughed a lot. Okay. Very cool. Let's take the trailer away. It's getting pretty tough coming up with new illnesses. <coughs> it's a little childish, but then so is high school. 
Honey, you're not going to school like this. Call if you need us. They bought it. How could I possibly be expected to handle school on a day like this? Bueller. Cameron Dave. Get dressed and come on over. Bueller. He has been absent nine times. Bueller. My father spent three years restoring this car. Ooh. I guess that's my dad. What are we going to do? What aren't we going to do? Why should he get to ditch? Something's going on. Another quality 86 trailer. Gal, why don't you tell us a little bit about Ferris? Here we go. One man struggled to take it easy. Ferris Bueller, larger than life, blessed with a magical sense of serendipity. He's a model for all those who take themselves too seriously. A guy who knows the value of a day off. This movie chronicles the events in the day of a rather magical young man. One spring day towards the end of his senior year, Ferris gives into an overwhelming urge to cut school and head for downtown Chicago with his girl Sloane and his best friend Cameron to see the sights, experience a day of freedom and share that with a little ingenuity, a bit of courage and a red Ferrari, life at 17 can be a joy. Yeah, it's pretty good. It's pretty good. Pretty good. Okay, I've, I'm just going to throw something out here right now because I was going to put it in question time, but it was there was too many things to think about. Sloane, underrated '80s girlfriend. I found her mesmerising. This watch, I've she's always, gorgeous. Yeah, she's. I always. I thought she was a great sort, yeah. but this one I was just transfixed whenever she was on the screen. Yeah, she's got a very good role in it. John Hughes didn't give this to Molly Ringwald because she wanted to have that role, and he actually said, "No, I need someone that's." Got a bit more presence like that that Miyasara has. That, that, that's what John Hughes said. But yeah. what did she say that John Hughes said? Do you know that? So she, John Hughes was like, no, nah, we need someone, a woman with a bit more gravitas, a bit older. And then Molly Ringwald told everyone that, oh, no, it was because the part wasn't big enough for me. So yeah. John didn't want me to have the part. It just wasn't big enough for me. John Hughes was like, fuck off, Molly. You got red <laughs> hair. That's why you didn't get it. Okay. Critical thinking. IMDb rates this one 7.8 out of 10. And it is certified fresh, 81% on the tomato meter and a whopping 92% audience score. That'd be right. Yeah, this is a dead set, critical and audience darling. Okay, a couple of reviews. A good one from Eric Henderson of Slant Magazine. One has to marvel at just how perfectly Hughes nails his frustratingly entitled Maison Song which he unquestionably does in the film's mesmerising detour inside an art museum. Now, we know the only reason I picked that review was because of Miz Because it said Miz Only Daniel. If it said Dunamore, it would have been the perfect review. Absolutely. And the only one, only person here on this podcast or listening that understands what that means is Daniel. That is it. And that's what okay. makes me the industry insider. Ab- Fuck you all. Absolutely. So Wayne is back oh. again. Oh, Wayne Kerr. Oh, Wayne. Davey, Davey, what's he got? Okay, what's he got for us? Our favorite, Davy Kerr from the Chicago Reader. The overriding impression is one of utter nihilism. 
of a world divided into bored, crassly materialistic teenagers and doltish, unfeeling adults. What is what? what Daltish, fu- unfeeling adult. Obviously, obviously, this is Wayne Stick. Like, he fucking pours shit in every film that he's seen. Like, obviously, it's one of those films where it's set up that every adult is a retard and the kids just pull the wool over their eyes with everything. But fine, that's the premise of the movie. But it's obviously set up to be a plot device there. It's not like they're complete morons and it's a slapstick comedy or anything like that. Like, it's a no, fun romp. That's, that's the whole it. thing. You just got, to, just got to let it go because there's so many bits you could pick apart and say, well, that's not going to happen. But that's the whole point of the movie. No, it's supposed to be a, I, fun, I agree. a fun little story that goes through. Wayne's holding on a bit too tight. Well, Wayne's He's trying to be controversial. I think this is his go because he has had one good review out of all the movies that we've done. And, we did, <laughs> and I did use it as the good review. Can't remember what movie it was. I'm sure Johnny Bull knows. He's all over everything that we do, but I can't remember which one it was. But usually he's the negative Nancy sitting in the corner. He's the cuck. That's what he is. Yeah, Dave Kirk. He's getting cuck older. Give a shout out to Johnny Bull, too. What a fucking legend that guy is. Absolutely. Been into it from the start. Fucking gets into every film. What a boss. I he's yeah. awesome. Watching them all. And, and sorry about last week. He wasn't a fan of last week. Sorry, Johnny. It's Daniel, Johnny was right on your uh, yeah, right was, on your case yeah. with American Werewolf. Watch it as a silent movie. Thought it was okay as a silent movie. Is that right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Watched it in silent because he had to do his homework. So we love you, Johnny. Keep keep repping the watchers. Love it. on you, Johnny. Good work, mate. Absolutely. Okay, gals. Ordinary people take us through the cast. And here we go. Matthew Broderick. He initially took up acting at the Upper Crust Walden School in New York. Good uh, pies at the Upper Crust. Yeah, good pies. Yeah, good pies. But yeah, he was actually into his sports, football and soccer, but he got sidelined by a knee injury. It's funny you mention that, Gal, because I, I didn't do much looking into Matthew Broderick, but he, if you see him running in the film, he actually looks quite athletic. And all of the the chase scene at the end where he's rushing to get back to the house, yep. he doesn't look out of place with all of the, the action sequences that he's doing. So that makes sense. Yeah. But look, he made his feature film debut in the movie Max Dugan Returns in 1983. Dukes. Um, same debut. What about Dugs on that rooftop drinking the Bacardi Breezer with what's the old format winger? Oh my God. That was when our generation split from the next generation. So generation X and generation Z parted ways. The moment Dugs thought he was taking a photo, missing training. He's on $800,000 a year. Decides he's too good for it. I'm going to suck Bacardi bruises with Blake Ferguson on my rooftop in Canberra. Like, what a plan. But then Blake Ferguson went on and said to Dukes, hold my Bacardi Dukes. I'm going to leave the NRL and go to Japan rugby where I play 12 games a year for a million bucks and get caught with cocaine in a nightclub. And go to jail night. and his... and get his contract torn up and sent home. What? Mate. Yeah, no. That and now is... he wants to sue. Now he and he did he, he wanted to sue the NRL for his schnoz. Yes. Oh, Who are you suing, God. Dan? Who are you suing? My schnoz, unfortunately, was God's creation. I am His children, and I don't get to sue anyone. <laughs> Back to Matthew Broderick. Here we go. So another early movie, War Games in '83, with Alex. Great, great movie. movie. Great, great movie. movie. Yeah, really enjoyed that. Uh, he was in '85. He was in Lady Hawk. Uh, Lady Hawk with Michelle Isn't that Lady Hawk? Tickling the perineum. Stop. Playing with my perineum. No one has ever said that. No one has ever said that, Daniel. That's it. 
That is the second least said yeah. saying in all of history of yeah. English language. Yeah. 86, Ferris Buell, obviously Golden Globe nominee for Matthew Broderick in this movie. He is very good in this movie. He does He's command the screen very well. He's got charisma. He holds the it's camera. So, so film school for F-Wits this week, I'm actually going to look and say, so you would have noticed that he breaks the fourth wall a lot as as a character. So that if you think about a, a screen, the fourth wall is looking at us as the boyeurs looking into the movie. So he addresses us throughout the film. And it's it's pretty unique. There are, but uh, strangely enough, there are quite a few films that we love where characters do break the fourth wall as well. So I thought in film school for F-Wits this week, I'd just take a look at them. But yeah, it's an interesting device that's used by the director but absolutely nails it with his yep. film it never feels never feels shitty definitely yeah so Biloxi Blues 88 he was in Glory in 89 with Denzel Washington I love and Blues. Glory is incredible yeah great movie. what a great fucking flick and Denzel Washington when he's getting flogged unbelievable on the, the single uh, tier uh, and the, the tier single the single tier. tier that he's up like he's gone on 40 years later to do a, a lot of incredible roles training days another favorite of mine but yeah that single tear will stay with me for eternity that was incredible yeah other movies the cable guy godzilla 88 with jean oh, so the, the cable guy is very popular a bit of a cult film so i haven't seen it for a long time when was last time you oh, guys long saw time that? i've seen it a long time yeah. i actually watched it, I watched it oh, less than 12 months ago down down, down blue nut going down <laughs> yeah, I, a, I must revisit that. So, Ben Stiller directed. Um, yeah, it is a good, it's it's very, it's a bit darker, but it's good. There's some really good lines in that movie. Yeah, it's a good movie. Yeah, moving on. Inspector Gadget, 99. Dun, 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 dun. Great TV show, terrible movie. Terrible movie. Did the voice of Simba in the Lion King movies? He's is in that right? Wives. Yep. I did, did not know that, because that made about $14 bazillion. Did, you, did I go to the musical with you guys, or was that with the artist previously known as Mooks's girlfriend? I've seen this musical several times. Yeah, I think uh, maybe we went to. We may have gone yeah. to. Yeah, yeah. Not with Gow. Gow's fucking. No, not Gow's not big shit. on musicals. Gow still got PSD from Little Shop of Horrors. Oh God, when he was the plant. Yeah, Audrey. Two. Audrey two. Audrey two. Yeah. What else? Special time. It's 86 movie as well. Little Shop Horrors. It was too. Anyway, look, a couple of sliding doors moments here for Matthew Broderick. He was the first choice for the role of Alex P. Keaton in Family Ties. Oh, first choice. Uh, Yeah, first choice, but he didn't want to commit to a long television run. So that's why Michael J. Fox got the role. Now, I wouldn't say that's hurt Matthew Broderick's career, uh, but it's definitely a big sliding door. I've got to say, a little digression here because we seem to be, I'm going to do almost here. Mix. I was watching YouTube this week. I was looking at clips of Curb Your Enthusiasm with Larry okay. David. Yep. And seeing you meet, you mentioned Alex P. Keaton. There is the scene or the episode where Michael J. Fox stars in it and Larry David goes up to his house and he's into him about shaking. About he goes, Oh, I thought you were I thought you were mocking me because you were shaking. And Michael J. Fox goes, I've got Parkinson's, I shake. And Larry David, I'm not too sure. I thought you might have been doing it on purpose. And he goes, I can't, didn't do it on purpose. Like I wasn't waving anyone off. I was, I've got Parkinson's and I shake. And um, Michael Joe Fox goes to Larry, oh, do you want a soda, Larry? And he goes, yeah, for sure. So he gets a Coke out and as he's handed to him, he's like shaking, right? Larry David goes to open it and it spurts in his face and he goes, and Larry David's like, oh, did you do that on purpose? And, and he just looks at him and goes, no, Parkinson's. <laughs> 
I mean, I, what a great sport, mate, Michael J. Un- Fox. Unbelievable. Yeah, right. I, again, crying. I've seen it about four times before, but I hadn't seen it for a few years. And oh, oh just, nah, Parkinson's. Curb Your Enthusiasm is critically underseen by the, mate, uh, it is the, the, the masses. Like, it, it's got to be the yeah. most laugh out loud oh comedy on the televisuals. It's, Every uh, time I walk into a Japanese restaurant, I just think about the episode. Harasha Master! Harasha Master! And the Japanese chef saying, you cannot say Arashimase. We say Arashimase. And they have the Arashimase abuse off. And they're yelling at each other in the middle of the restaurant. Ah, oh, mate, it's quality. Continue, gal. Sliding doors. Here's one you wouldn't, you wouldn't think. He, Matthew Broderick was considered for the role of Douglas Quaid in Total Recall. No. Could you imagine really? that being what, Was he playing Quarto? Was he going to come out of the guy's stomach? The guy's a fucking midget. How yeah. could he have pulled that off? I don't know. It would have been a very different movie with him in it. Another couple of quick sliding doors moments for Matthew Broderick. He was originally cast as Jeffrey Willis in The Flamingo Kid, but he dropped out. That Matt Dillon character? Matt Dillon's role. So he dropped out of that. Yeah, again, it's... Was that, what was that, late 80s? 84. 80, oh, early 80s. Yeah. Okay. But he was considered for the lead role of Bruce Wayne in Batman, which the Michael Keaton role. Let's, oh, I could, now that we've seen Michael Keaton do that role, you could actually picture yeah. Matthew Broderick doing it. Yep. He turned down the role of Johnny Utah in Point Break as well. What That's the a big fuck? turn down. Went to Keanu, yeah. Can't Who see was this guy's role. agent? This guy's yeah, agent his was agent sucks. Huge. That was 91. What was he doing in 91? Not a hell of a lot. No, he did The Freshman with Marlon Brando in 1990. So when did Election come out with, with that's the late, That's early 2000s, I would say. Election was 1999. Yeah, there we go. Okay, so that was fucking incredible. Incredible yeah, movie. Yeah, good movie. Yeah. Great movie. Oz Striker. Yeah. He's in there. Yeah, he is. It's a great movie. Reach with this movie. Rooted in the um, spa. Yeah, look, here's another one for you. He was also considered for the role of Walter White on Breaking Bad. Oh, my now, God. I don't think anyone can do better than Brian Cranston because he's an awesome actor. Yeah. But, yeah, but I can see how he would fit into that role. Yeah. Yeah. I can see him. Like Cranston started as a comic actor. That's his chop. That's so right. the middle I, is that? What, what yeah, was that yeah. Show? Uh, the middle. Yes. No. He was, was also it, no, no. It was no. The middle. The kid. The kid. The one with Drain Kukrowski and yeah, yeah. Malcolm in the middle. Malcolm in the middle. Malcolm in the middle. Yeah, yeah. He was also the the dentist in Seinfeld. Brian Cranston. Yeah, he was. Mm. I saw some bloopers that just the other night. It's really yeah. funny yeah. when he puts him to sleep and is rooting his dental nurse. There was one where he's in the rest. He's in the restaurant with Jerry, and he makes Jerry Seinfeld crack up about three times. Just his, just his mannerisms and his facials. Very funny. Really good. All right, moving on. Please do. Well, we've got Alan Ruck. First movie was a movie called Class in 1983 with Andrew McCarthy, Rob Lowe, Jacqueline, Jacqueline Bissett. Yeah. yeah. Again, Andrew McCarthy. Like you'd think, what? How did he get any jobs? It was a brat packer. They were all in there. Molly Ringwald, Ali Sheedy. They were all together. Yeah. And John Hughes was casting a lot of them. And then obviously in the Ferris Bueller, he was in Three for the Road in 1987 with Charlie Sheen. He was in Young Guns 2. Ooh. And then obviously he had the role in Speed as Stevens in 94, The Man on the Bus. Yeah. He's a punish in that. Yes. Yes, he is. Yeah. He's in Twister in 96, Spin City. Obviously, he did 146 episodes of Spin City alongside Michael J. Fox. He was in Ghost Town. Really? Yeah, he was the ghost dad. Oh. He's Jerry, Ricky Gervais' Ricky ghost Gervais. dad. And then after that, a whole heap of TV jobbing. He was on Cougar Town, CSI Miami, Rules of Engagement, NCIS. Until uh, 2018, he was in Gringo alongside Charlie's Theron and Joel Edgerton. And of course, I don't your think favorite show, Morgs. He was in Succession. Yeah. 
He's in succession oh. as yeah, he's, he's the oldest. Yeah, that's, that's his most recent. So other than Spin City, that's been his most recent ongoing yes, it is. Yeah. television. And he's fucking excellent succession. What do you guys think of him in succession? Well, I'm only four Shut the fuck up. You've, very you've, watched fucking, you've watched something on YouTube. You haven't even seen it. Listen to me, F with. So let's do an aside. This is like me breaking the fourth wall like Ferris does in Ferris Bueller's Day Off. This is when I address you directly. I'm embarrassed by the lack of effort my fellow colleagues on Born to Watch have put into watching some of the greatest shows on television. So Matt White, who I defer to as someone who is far more knowledgeable about me in most things that happen on the television, the fucking creep hasn't seen Succession. He's seen a bit of The Wire. How much have you seen of The Wire? I'm up to season four of The Wire. Season four? Okay. So the greatest, one of the greatest. In the, in the top five television shows of all time, he hasn't seen at all. Mad Men, I reckon he's probably not even seen one episode. Breaking Bad, have you concluded Breaking Bad? No, I haven't started Breaking what Bad. What the fuck is wrong with you? You've got to watch that. You know what? You know what? This is old news. It's quite fucking boring, to be honest. But right. you can't. Like my, you can't be out. Do, you're, like, no, you're no, out no. You're so, what I do you're, here is I spend my time prepping for this, watching stuff that's relevant to this podcast so that Whitey and the team's fans get the fucking product that they get. I don't waste my time. Morgs, can you sing Shoutman Overboard for that? Yes. So we found out, so Whitey actually reached out to Shoutman Overboard, and it, it turns out it was he a great fan of the podcast. He reached out yeah, to me. Yeah, Matt Beergeek, who's a fucking he legend, loved, and he loves, he loves movies as much as we do, and we think he's shit hot. So he was he just posted that as a bit of a piss take. But he put Whitey and the team to take the piss, but it's fucking, it's out there in the fucking, in, on, the, on the line. And people think that we're actually team members of your fucking team, and that's not on. Mate, it's we can't help perception, right? We cannot. I can't help perception. Perception is nine tenths of the fucking shit in your pants, or something. I I don't know what the old adage is. Perception is nine tenths of the law. I don't drive perception. (laughs) People are going to see and draw their own conclusions, and if they believe it's Whitey and the team, then so be it. I want you to tell me, boys, how old Alan Ruck was when this movie was made. This is fucked up. So I know this answer. Is it twenty eight? Whitey, no. Is he older the cunt than was that? twenty nine. No way. Playing a seventeen year old, and he does a good so, job too. So Hollywood has always had an obsession with making teenagers not teenagers. So if you think back to Beverly Hills nine hundred two one zero, when Luke Perry was sixty four, playing a teenager, yeah, Gabriel Gutierrez. Gabriel Gutierrez. She was in her 80s, and she was also playing a teenager. So according to Alan Ruck, the role of Cameron was offered to Emilio Estevez originally. He yeah. turned it down. Yeah. So Alan Ruck said, every time I see Emilio, I want to kiss him. I can yeah, understand that. giving him this role. But let's move on. Jeffrey Jones. Now, here's one, Morgs. His first movie was called The Revolutionary in 1970. It was a movie with John Voight and Robert Duvall. What do you reckon the who character th- name was? Just hang on. Who the fuck is Jeffrey Jones? Yeah, hey, Rooney. Rooney. You're kidding. That's his name. Yeah. JJ. I have never. He's been Ed Rooney forever for me. What else is Ed Rooney? So you, sorry. He's in a film in 1970. We're just about to go through well, what we, he's yeah, been. That, see, the, we'll the, get to the, the Gow, What else is he in? The program, of, the program that we follow is that Gao tells us who the people are and then goes through some stuff that he's done. You don't need to preempt him. It's all going to happen. In, it's just going to happen in front of you, Dan. Right you can on. comment then. What episode are we up to? Like 70? 
I'm yeah, fucking, I'm getting it down. You're good. You're down, Pat. His first movie was a movie called The Revolutionary. What do you reckon his character name was called in this? Ed Rooney. Ben, ben Fanta Pants. The red-haired, close, with the red-haired radical committee member. <laughs> <laughs> he was in Easy Money in 83 with Roddy Dangerfield. Armadeus, 84, and then obviously into Ferris Bueller. Who was, was the star of Armadeus? It was... John Malkovich. John Malkovich, yeah. Was it there a... Armadeus, there was a young actor Amadeus, started... Amadeus. 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 Yeah, Zayas, well, Zayas. Zayas. He's iconic in that role. Hang on. Dr. Zayas, Dr. Zayas, Dr. Zayas. It was oh, F. Murray oh, oh, Abraham. Oh, oh, oh. F. Murray Abraham. Dan. The Dan. Oh, F. yeah. F. Murray Abraham. <laughs> F. Murray Abraham. <laughs> F. Tom Murray Hulse. Abraham. No, it was Tom Hulsk because he was in Yeah, Tom, I was going to say Tom Hulsk was in his Tom Hulsk was yeah. with Mozart. Tom Hulsk, he played Amadeus Mozart. That was a thing. Like, he was the protagonist, wasn't he? All right, here we go. He was in Beetlejuice in 88. Yes. He's the, uh, yeah, he's a scumbag. Yep. He's Who's Harry Crumb, 89, The Hunt for Red Hot. Hey, October. whoa, 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 just going back. Cynthia Nixon from Sex and the City, which we've we've talked about previously, is in Amadeus as well. When we do Amadeus, we can do the cast for Amadeus. Amadeus, Amadeus, Amadeus. We've, got, we've actually got more chance of doing that Simpsons episode where they do Planet of the Apes, the musical, before we do Amadeus. All right, ninety-seven. He was in The Devil's Advocate as Eddie Barzun with Al Pacino, Keanu Reeves, and Charlize Theron. Good movie. I, I like really that. like The Devil's Advocate. What do you guys think? I'm not big on Al Pacino. As after, the Devil, after the, Heat, he's in. He's yeah. in his overplaying roles. Well, he's that. just an overactor. Yeah. Ever yeah. since Sin of a Woman. Yeah. Since even Heat, even Heat, he turns it up a couple of times. Yeah. But you can forgive him in that one. And it's look, not critically acclaimed, The Devil's Advocate, but I could watch it tonight and enjoy it. Yeah. yeah, no, it's a good movie. Good movie. And after that, he's in Deadwood. He did uh, he did uh, three seasons of Deadwood there in oh. 2005, 2006. Next up, Jennifer Grey. First movie was Reckless in 84 with Aidan Quinn and Daryl Hannah. I'll just give you a synopsis on this one. A motorbike riding loner rebel on the high school football team wins a date with a cute, rich cheerleader. At the high school dance, her boyfriend's behavior leads to a breakup, opening doors. I like it. Why haven't I seen this movie? Mate. That's quintessential early 80s. Yeah, I'm going ever. home to watch that. After that, she was in Red Dawn. She's one of the Wolverines. Oh, the I love, Fighters. love Red Dawn. Yeah. What a movie. And then she was in The Cotton Club in 84 with Richard Gere, Gregory Hines, Diane Lane. And after that, she was became a member of the Brat Pack. So then obviously got her role with John Hughes' Ferris Bueller's Day Off. And look, after that, obviously in Dirty Dancing, where she had a Golden Globe nom for Best Actress as Baby Houseman. Nobody puts me in the corner. She was in Bounce, the movie Bounce, 2000, with Ben Affleck and Gwyneth Paltrow. Remember but, when Morgs went through a stage of using the word bounce? You want to bounce? Oh, he thought he was rad. It was ju- that was a jewel <laughs> comment, so I'd say, do you want to move a little? When <laughs> I was going to say it was played. more a move a little. Yeah, let's do you want to move a little? And let's bounce. That one, that <laughs> one were the two things I tried to appropriate and, and, and suffered immensely from He was the oldest of- person on the globe to try and use let's bounce. Anyway, continue, guys. Bounce. All right, and after that, a whole heap of TV roles. New Adventures of Old Christine, House, Grey's Anatomy. She won Dancing with the Stars in 2005. She had a massive plastic surgery. She's well, unrecognizable the, today. Well, that's, she, she's you would said, not know who it is. She said she's no longer recognizable yeah. from Dirty Dancing, and that's why she hasn't had roles. Exactly. She regrets it. was the dumbest thing she ever did. Yeah. She wasn't, there was nothing wrong with her. Nothing wrong with her. No. 
we've talked about Mia Sara a little bit, but she's been in a few movies. She was in Legend in 85 with Tom Cruise Tommy and Cruise. Tim Curry. Yeah. That was her first movie. Obviously, 18 when she made Ferris Bueller and then had a small role in Time Cop with Jean-Claude Van Damme. Yeah, she gets the boobies out in Time Cop. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. She plays Jean-Claude's girlfriend, I believe, or love interest. And oh, that would have just been, that would have been a John Claude. He would have been a fan of John of Ferris Bueller. He would have watched it over eating Belgian waffles and doing the splits. And he would have said, "I like her, and I want her in a movie. I want her in the movie, yeah. yeah. Put her in my. Put he her would, in he would have. He definitely would have put some moves on her. He definitely would have put some moves on her. He did on the splits for her, mate. For sure, absolutely. Do you reckon he danced for her? That's how he got her. Mate, That's how he got her to take the top off. One of the best. One of the best dancers. Can't wait till we do kickboxer. It's the best. We're gonna we the three of us are all gonna have to do a, a, our version of John Claude dance and film oh, it. Yeah. yeah, that's really good. <laughs> it's if you look up that actor now though, it really unfortunately sends us to a place where we consider our own mortality because she doesn't look anything like Ferris Bueller's Day Off, as she shouldn't. But uh, yeah, it's uh, it's difficult. She's not that bad a sort now though. I don't think she's that oh, bad. She's, she's in her 60s. It's no, quite confronting. Not, all, not everyone ages as gracefully as us. That's true. That's true. Uh, that's, we know that if I became an actor tomorrow, I could play like 24 to 35 pretty easily. So Mate, You are gosling. You could, have been, you could have been Ken. You could have been Ken in Barbie. That's it. When no does doubt. that come out? That's Very not far soon. away. He's a, gosling's got a bit of backlash on that. Really? really? About being, they call him grandpa. Because he's a bit older, so he's way older than Margot Robbie. Yeah, yeah. yeah, so like thirty-seven, isn't he? Yeah. But anyway, all right. Edie McClurg. Oh yeah, she's the uh, the she's secretary. Grace. She's secretary. Grace. Yeah, she was in Carrie. In Zelda. Yes. Look, she's done a lot of voiceover work too. She's been in Scooby Doo, Smurfs, obviously Ferris Bueller. She was in Back to School in '86 as well. Really? She was a receptionist in that as well. She yeah. was Marge Sweetwater. Interestingly enough, both those comedies opened on June 13th, 1986, Ferris Bueller and Back to School on the same Back day. Back to School's a great movie. Yeah, good good movie. She's in Planes, Trains and Automobiles. She was in the sitcom Valerie Harper's show. Valerie. When she left, they changed the name, didn't they? They changed the name. Did Jason she, did, Bateman did, was in that. Did Valerie die or did Valerie – why did they change the name of that sitcom? Because she left. Valerie Harper left. No, but did she leave because she died? No, she they she had she had issues with the money. It was definitely it was money. money, and she was the star of it. And then they changed. Yeah, because they, 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 they changed Valerie's family or something. The Harper family. The Harper family. The Hogan family. That's right. Because Bateman obviously is revered highly on Born to Watch as a fucking boss. Yeah. Look, let's quickly talk about John Hughes. Hughesy, good old Hughesy. Kim, he started out in the seventies as a writer for National Lampoon. Did Mister Mum in 83 or 84, and he wrote the screenplay for National Lampoon's Vacation. But just to go quick through, 16 Candles, The Breakfast Club, European Vacation, Weird Science, Pretty in Pink, Some Kind of Wonderful, Planes, Trains and Automobiles, The Great Outdoors, Uncle Buck, Home Alone, Curly Sue. And Uncle Buck and Curly Sue was director for, as he was for Ferris Bueller and for Weird Science. Could be the greatest run in the history of cinema. He actually wrote the original script for Dumb and Dumber as well in 94, yeah. but got his name taken off. I'm not sure why, but got his name taken out of all the, off the project, including the script. Yeah, he's a legend, John Hughes. Oh, he had a big run in that, I mean, in that 80, 83 to 87 area. He's home alone too. He's home alone as well. Yeah, he's home alone in 1990, yeah. yeah. Curly Sue. Beethoven. Legend. Absolute legend. Okay. So the gross for this movie, 
worldwide gross was $70.1 million on a budget of $6 million. The opening weekend took $6.2 million, so they got their money Covers, back yeah. straight away. Smart business. Yeah. Very good done. But look, we've been through 86. We don't need to go much there. Ferris Bill was number 10, $70 million. Obviously, Top Gun was number one at 357.5. Crocodile Dundee at 328. We talked about all of this last week. Platoon, yep. best picture. Paul Newman, best actor in The Color of Money. Righto. That's enough. Um, we've done enough we'll 86. We've done it yep. to death. And we're going to cover almost every single movie in 86 by the end of Born to Watch. A hit, sleeper, or dud. Now, we've done 86 a couple of weeks ago with Big Trouble. We believe that 90% of 86 are hits. So I've got a couple of sleepers. We're just going to do sleepers tonight. So my first sleeper, House, starring William Cat. It's probably the first horror movie that I really got into. A troubled writer moves into a haunted house after inheriting it from his aunt. It's awesome. Love it. I have revisited it lately. It's still really good. It has aged a little bit. It's a bit in the big trouble monster sort of area, but very funny. It's quite scary. Quite scary still. His kid gets kidnapped in the house and he has to then go in and find him. It's very good. Love it. I can't, dis- I can't make a distinction between this and Fright Night. I know very different plots, yeah. but they're just in my brain, they're the same, they're the same time frame. Sort of similar same- feel. Sort of similar feel too. Suburban. Yeah, very similar feel to them. But House is a cracker, starring the greatest American hero. Really good. What about nice. you, G? What do you got? Look, last time I talked about Hoosiers and Youngblood as my sleepers. and. Yeah. I'll stand by those because they're two cracking movies. But another one that came out that year that we haven't talked about is Heartbreak Ridge. Oh. Now, a Clint Eastwood movie. I watched that not long ago. It's it was amazing. on TV. It's a cracker. Oh, it's all a rock and roller. Yeah. The Gunny Highway. He's just hard as nails. Yeah. He looks line. super old there as well. And it's not in 86. Yeah. yeah. It was fucking almost 40 years ago and he looks old. He w- He's in his 50s there, early 50s probably. You just trying to landmine. Now they're going to send out a search party for your testicles. He's a gruff old bugger in this Isn't movie. He? But yeah, great movie. That's my sleeper. Yeah, that's no, great. Are you got anything, Dan? Not a sleeper, but The Colour of Money. What an amazing flick. I watch that every year without fail, and I would like a Vince t-shirt with fucking black with a reverse-out white vent. I would very much like one of those. Paul Newman reprising his role from the one he did with... The Hustler. The Hustler, that's exactly right. Jackie Gleason. Yeah, with Jackie Gleason. What an incredible film. Um, Scorsese, it took $52 million, so it was no, uh, it was certainly, it wasn't a fuck up itself, but yeah, I just, uh, stand by me, 1986, and Matthew White has been talking to us about 1986 since we started this podcast, but it is an incredible time capsule of film. There was just, the top fucking 40 are excellent films. It was just, uh, and Iron Eagle comes in at 41, so you could say, the top 41 <laughs> are incredible films. Yeah, absolutely. I got one more sleeper, The Fly. Yeah, I was going to say The Fly. Okay. Good movie. Brilliant but eccentric scientist begins to transform into a giant man-fly hybrid after one of his experiments goes horribly wrong. I saw this in the cinema. You saw it in the cinema? What I saw hit? this in the cinema. When it came out? 1986. When it came out, 1986. So Colleen gave you $3.80. Four yeah, fifty. Wow. So this is prior to Fatal Attraction. I saw this in the cinema. This freaked me out. Oh. When he turns, when he's man fly, when he's Brundlefly, 
at the end and the and Gina Davis's boyfriend comes in and he spews the stuff on his hand and starts to melt his hand. Did yeah. me. Yeah. Absolutely yeah. did it's, me. It's a tough movie. This, David, yeah. David Cronenberg directed this, who is a body horror expert. Yeah. And this movie is incredible. Still today, holds up. Really has stood you the test of time. That whole fly scene freaked me out. Old. Yeah, and I was I looked 22. You yeah. did look 22, and you yeah. had pubes <laughs> everywhere that a man can have pubes. Yeah, but I, I had still, a lot of hair. That's fucked up that you went to this at age yeah. 11. I, I, it must have only been rated M. I don't know. I could, it couldn't have been rated R. I think I it was know. an R. I think it was R. Like, I don't yeah, know how yeah. I got into this, but I remember seeing it in the movies. And I remember The Fly 2, which came out quite a few years later. I wanted to go back to the movies to see it, but never gone there. Did see it. It's not very good, Eric Stoltz. It's not a pinch on the original, but The Fly, excellent. Eric Stoltz, really, because he was Michael J. Fox's character in Back to the Future, and they yeah. cut him out because he was shit out. Or he just... Yeah. Wasn't it was shit house? He just wasn't on tone for that particular film. And I know that in Quickfire we often talk about did they understand the film that he was in? And it's a categorical no for each Stoltz. But he's an incredible actor himself. Like yeah. Pulp Fiction obviously yeah. stands out as that the he's on screen for about two minutes, but it is still burnt into our film appreciating brains for what he was able to do. Yeah, it's quite it was a bold choice, I think, by the Zemeckis's and everyone that did Back to the Future to say, actually, this isn't working. We need that fucking prick that's on family ties to work. 22 hours a day and we'll just shoot at night because yeah. Eric Stoltz is not the right person for this film. What a huge choice. Yeah, absolutely. Anything else? No, that's it. Okay, excellent. All done, team. Let's move into question time, finally. Okay, so is this the greatest use of a day off? He crams a lot in, but it's 17 and a hard 10 as your girlfriend. Don't you just stay home rooting? I, it's so cool that you have asked this question, Matthew. So thank you. I, in, in this most recent rewatch, that was all that I was thinking. It was like, <laughs> mate, she's a gal punched through so many of these back in the late nineties, early noughties, like, and the gal, he, as if gal is giving up a whole day of non-rooting activities to any of these hotbirds, like gal is slotting them in to Sunday evening when his hangovers finally recited from being out in the piss with me and you after footy on Saturday night. He's finally, he's had a, he's had a burger. He's got some blood sugar into him and he's, okay, I can give some time to you, my 10 out of 10 hot bird friend who's just come around begging for some gal time. Hold on. What bit would you have been doing here, Morgs? You would have been him at the start writing some love songs at home. Maybe he would have been playing, playing the clarinet. Maybe playing the blues because a few times like things didn't go well in relationship-wise with playing the blues. But sometimes okay. it would have been the guy on the synthesizer. Yeah. Yeah, he would have been. Would I have would have been. been on my base writing songs with Whitey in my bedroom at Woodward Street for Whitey to sing because Whitey always had the better voice out of me and him. I can't hide away from how much of a dork I was, G-Man. So the, the answer to the question, Daniel, is yes, you would just stay home boning your girlfriend, right? A hundred percent. Yes. Do you do you go to a French restaurant? Do you go to the art gallery? Is it the What's best it use of time? Chez yeah. Louis? Chez Louis? Yeah, Chez Louis. Yeah. What are your thoughts? Have any of you guys been to yeah. Chicago? I have not. Gal? No. No, I have been there. It's an impressive city. So there's a couple of shots in Ferris 
Beulahs where they actually pick up the Great Lakes in the background. So it's one of those funny cities, and we've been to many of them in our time. The Great Lakes, is it's basically like an inland ocean. So it is, you can actually surf on the Great Lakes. Like it, you, if you get in your tinny and try to cross the Great Lakes, it's almost like getting across the Pacific Ocean to Hawaii from Mona Vale. Like it's a massive place. But Chicago and our friend Jut Smith, a good friend of the podcast, has been in Chicago recently after a baseball game. And the place just, they're hugely big on sport. The Chicago Bulls were the three of ours favorite basketball team back in the 90s when Aussie Luke Longley was taking down three NBA rings. But we've I've managed to spend a bit of time there, but only scratch the surface. But this is one of the top cities to cut fucking sick in in the world. So I don't know that they capture that in the film, but it is very cool. I've not been to Chicago, but I know a little bit about Chicago. Tonight it's very clear. As we're both lying here. All right. So, Gal, you go, you're going not. Well, Chicago, this. Oh, no, we're moving on. Out. We're moving on. I'm not thinking you're going to a French restaurant. No. And look, this is getting into the bad, but where's he get all the cash? Yeah. Where's he get all the cash? Well, he's the sausage king. The sausage king. He's the sausage. He does. Oh, well, okay. He is a promise. This is a good question. Can you guys remember back to the jobs we had when we were at Ferris Bueller's age to have, have a, a pocket full of cash? So Matthew White, you were too busy playing footy. Yeah, Matthew, Matthew Gow. Oh, I don't think Gow had a job either at seventeen. I don't remember. I don't remember you having a part-time job. Yeah, I did. I worked at the. Oh, when did oh, I did I work at the fact mum's factory? I worked. Oh, that maybe be before that. You didn't have enough money to be going to a French restaurant. I no. Have enough I, so out of the three of us, I was perhaps the only one that was grinding, hustling stacks. in stacks. the, yeah, Stacks Warehouse down the sports store down there. Before that, I was, I did work experience at Chatswood Sports Scene, which moved into a Saturday job for me. So I used to have to flip sports shoes to Chatswood fuckers every Saturday to try and earn my, I don't know, what, what would I've earned? 30 bucks. Or something that Saturday, yeah, if I was lucky to to actually have some pocket money. So that's interesting. No, but of the three of us, it was, it just, and Ferris Fuller talks about him and Cameron having a summer job when school concludes, but we didn't really do that, did we? We didn't, when the summer was on, we were just too, too busy to doing actually, nothing. Yeah, that's it. We were just hanging at each of our houses and probably getting on the, to, to actually have a job. So, yeah. No, it's not the best use of time, is it? No, it's not the best use of time. Morks, yeah. what do you think? I can't remember the question. Okay, so it could get this part could get into the ugly, but I know he's possibly joking, but seventeen is way too young to even joke propose to your girlfriend. Yeah, that was really odd. That's just it's off tone. It's off for time with the movie. Yeah. But in, in Ferris's defence there, I, oh, no, I disagree. I think that when you're caught up in that moment, you don't know any better because you haven't lived any more of life. So I think that what, whilst it was for comedic value in the film, I can picture the character of Ferris actually thinking, this is a fucking sick day. It doesn't get much sicker than this. I'm about to hopefully stick an Italiano 10 yeah, I can see his POV and think that he probably, the character probably thought, what else is there in life? You think at 17, he's cutting school and he's thinking, 
I'm having a sick day off. I'm. I should propose to my girlfriend. He doesn't. But he has no perspective. He has got no, no idea. But, but, no, but, but it's so out of. It's so out of tone no, for the I, rest of the movie. But like, I, I disagree because my next question is, what the fuck has this guy been doing to be the single greatest personality in Chicago at 17? The guy's on the front page of the paper for being sick and we're people rallying around him. Yes, but well, that goes is... back to me. That goes back to the part of it's just a fun romp. That's, I, I get that's that. the bit. I get that. It's just, it becomes bigger than Ben-Hur and they come home and all the flowers are there and the people are like, we're rooting for you, we're pulling for your son and Save all that. Save Ferris. Yeah. That's just part of the shtick of the movie to me. Like, it's it gets bigger than Ben-Hur. And somehow mm. a kid As an impressionable young viewer watching this film at the time when me and Whitey were, were checking it, they, you thought that maybe your life would pan out like this and one could become Ferris Bueller and become the big man on campus and bridge the gap between all of the subgenres at school. Gal, what are they all called? Oh, the DBs, the, the Fordos, motorheads, geeks, yeah. sluts, bloods, waste toys, dweebies, dickheads. And watch That's them. That's them. Yeah, I, know, I think it was just a masterstroke by John Hughes, uh, the director, to to create this character that was able to transcend any of the uh, the barriers that would be put up if a character doesn't fit into a mold of who's cool like you two okay so then cameron tough hang are you putting up with cameron's shit so i i, I, I think that, i think the question sorry, you I go, think is cameron you go, is cameron putting up with ferris's ferris, shit because no, no. ferris is an asshole ferris, no and that's and that, i agree ferris is an asshole and the three of us have had friends like this where it's all about them all of the time. They don't give a fuck about the repercussions. It's They don't care. But Cameron is a bit of a tough hang. Oh, he's a tough hang, but he wasn't into it anyway. Yeah. Although I think the backstory is that he's had a tough life. His old man's obviously very hard on him. That's the whole point of the car scene. This is part two of the question. So any father that holds material possessions over their son, the car deserves to be bashed. Yeah, he does a good job of it. Yeah, he does a good job. He killed the car. I know we're getting into bad, but if he's so smart, this kid, and he can hoodwink his parents, the principal of the school, he can get himself into restaurants, and yet he thinks that if they put the car in reverse, they'll get the... Yeah. The and then we're just going to have to break open the thing. Oh, yeah, right. well, no one will notice that. I, I See, the, that part of the movie, I think the three of us would come up with a stupid fucking suggestion like that back in the day, too. That was more aligned with how a 16, 17-year-old thinks, like... You just come up with some stupid okay. hair-brained ideas. Okay. As a young man, I took my parents' cars all the time. Thank you. I'm glad that you brought this up because and you, if there's anyone on this podcast that can comment on Ferris Bueller's actions, it is one. Yeah. I, I am, was a bit of a Ferris. I took my parents' cars before I had my license. As an L-plater, before I had my L's, I took other people's parents' cars that possibly might be on this podcast. I was I was a bit of a Ferris without people liking me. I was the derided Ferris. I never was concerned about the kilometres that were going on the car. Right? And I understand that he's got what in nowadays terms is probably a $500,000 car sitting in the garage. And dad would probably know there was 63,005. He said there was 116. Yeah. And 126 knew. and halfway between three and four. Yeah, yeah. You know what? And that's not many on there, so obviously that's the big thing. Roll the dice. Just go, Dad, I took your car. It's all good. And what's Dad going to do? They're going to well, get the shits with you for a, a day. 
Dad hates him anyway. He, he How much worse could it be? He could have done that without booting the car through the back window. Exactly either. right. It's that, but otherwise, like we better. Who cares? Just you know what? You live by the sword. You become a movie podcaster. That's what happened. Yeah. Okay, I think we're done there. Let's move into the categories in record time. The good, the bad, and the ugly. We're going to start with Gao because Morgs has spoken enough tonight. Gao, the good. Hit me. The flip-top sunnies. <laughs> They're the best. Gao, what a fucking great call. They are incredible. <laughs> they are the best. I think Damo would have been belting around Belrose in a pair of those. Oh, he's probably got a pair at home now. He, he might have. Yeah. If he was in studio, we'd probably be wearing them. Damo. He's coming in, actually. Damon will be in for the next episode, for the next couple episodes, and I'm going to make sure that he brings his flip-top sunnies. They are a crack up, those things. And there's nothing beneath them. They just flip up. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. No, frameless flip-tops. Yeah, it's awesome. I loved. I just love that. I look, I love the dynamic between Ed Rooney and Grace. Like, that whole scene in the at the school is awesome. Just the two of them bouncing off each other and her just – some of the one-liners she gives. Oh, no, we'll get to the What about when she gets on the phone and she's That was ad-libbed. That was ad-libbed. Because <laughs> they didn't have any parts, so they were just filming that. So she just threw that in there, yeah. I just, the bit that gets me about Crazy. the music. Yeah. The bit that gets me is, here's the principal, and he's just, he's got a whole job to do. He's got, what, a, a thousand kids at his school, and he's so hung up on. One this, kid. One kid, but these kids that, that are. Potentially super school, but one kid's yeah. obviously in in his firing line. And then he's talking about taking down a peg. And then she looks and goes, oh, Ed, you look just like Dirty Harry then. And he's just like, yeah. <laughs> that face he pulls. Yeah, it's awesome. Oh, my God. I just love it. And then, of course, Grace. Grace. <laughs> so, yeah, that that's it for me. Okay. Dan, what do you got? I look, I, let's stay away from the major characters in this. I thought all of the minor roles is something that on the most recent rewatch that got me. First and foremost, just American high school. That was so different to mm-hmm. what we watched when we were kids going to the Badlands. We were growing up in the Bronx in Cromer and going to Cromer High. It, the high school experience was just so different to what we experienced. And to see the guys like having payphones yeah. in the school and Having the kids, and it doesn't, it's not dated to 1986's film. Like the fashion and everything they're wearing, it doesn't, it's, it transcends the, the mid-80s. It doesn't, it, oh, it doesn't. I, I don't know. I, Sloan's outfit's very 80s. Okay, the agreed. Boots, like the that, boots. Yeah, the, 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 the boots yeah, and the, the suede jacket. Yeah, so jacket. If you can shoulders. isolate that, I thought the rest, but I just thought the American high school experience was something that we coveted and just thought, how fucking sick how is that? How fucking look? sweet does that Yeah, look? they've got so much freedom. They're yes. allowed to talk on the phone at school. Like it was, it, that, I thought that was incredible. So again, forgetting the main characters, I thought that Charlie Sheen and Jennifer Grey in the revisit, just they just cracked me the fuck up. So Charlie Sheen apparently didn't sleep for 48 hours before yes. he shot his scenes. He just flew in and did that. And he looks fucked up, which is great. But Jennifer Sheen, when this, her retort, sorry, Jennifer, Jennifer Grey, when she does her retorts to Charlie Sheen, like, why don't you stick your thumb up your butt? It just, it makes no sense. But it's just so fucking funny in the way she delivers it. So that whole police station scene just grabbed me this time, just thinking, this is 
hysterical and awesome. Yeah, I think American High School and the supplementary characters were just fucking fantastic. Yeah, I did chuckle when I read about the Charlie Sheen stood up for 48 hours to make him look like he was drugged out of his mind. I'm like, and he yeah. did. He looked <laughs> fucked up. Yeah, yeah. He, sta- he stayed up for 48 hours. He was also coked out of his head. Yeah. yeah. So, like, hey, John, I stayed up. John, yeah, I stayed up. Just I stayed up. Just for you, though. Just don't, for you. I don't need the blood test, but I stayed up. I stayed up. Don't piss test me either, mate. Okay, look, I've got John Hughes. Like, the guy is just a wizard. He is the wizard. He's the Gandalf of 80s film. He's incredible. Yeah. Agreed. Uh, Agreed. Uh, and you mentioned it about, about film school for F-Wits tonight, Morg, but it's not often films successfully break the fourth wall. It can come across as being really hokey, but I Absolutely. this rewatch, I really bought into it. That The start and the end, I, it really, it suckered me in. I thought that was really well done. And it all hangs on Ferris, right? Now, he's the one that, if he's not good at what he does, Broderick, then it doesn't work. I've got absolutely everything Ed Rooney. Every time that guy's on the screen, I am so transfixed. And I'd even forgotten the bus when he gets on the bus at the end. And he sits next to the girl, says to him, Massive, yes, massive do you want, do you want some gummy on. bears? Do you want some gummy bears? They've been in my pocket. They're, they're, they're pretty soft. And he grabs it and he just flips down to the front of the bus. And then he looks up and it's got Rooney eats it. Yeah. The fucking, that, and, why and is just, that so funny? Why know, is that so funny? I know. And then he even breaks the fourth wall. He looks at the camera with just a look of disdain. Have you ever been on a bus before, Mr. Rooney? It's, oh my and God. Just the eyes when oh. he raised them, when he gets caught, like, Ferris Bueller's on line two. And he just goes, Oh my God. The eyes go. And yeah. when she finds his wallet at the door, like, he just, yeah. he's yeah. just impressive in this movie. Oh, mate, he's, he's amazing. Oh, I want to change mine. I want to add Ed Rooney to mine as well. Yeah, he is. Again, this movie hangs on Matthew Broderick's performance, but without Ed Rooney's performance, the movie's shit. He, as the antagonist, is incredible. Incredible. Yeah. And then I've got, it's it's an hour and 47, this movie. It's a lean hour 47. Yeah, I agree. There are no dead spots. spots. Because I was watching it last night. I watched it last night and I... Because I'd seen it about three months ago, and I watched it last night. I watched half. It was just rocketing through. I thought, shit, I'd better go to bed. And I'd watched an hour of it, and it was just like clicking the I had the same experience. Same experience. And then so then the Savo, the Savo, when I got home from work, I had a bit of work to do to finish up in case someone's listening from straight up. And I did a bit of work first, and then I flicked on Ferris, and it was, it felt, I had 40 minutes to go, and it it felt like I blinked an eyelid, and it was over. I was chuckling at the gummy bears. Agreed. They don't make movies like this anymore. There's, There's always no some fluff. No, totally it is agree. so lean. Totally it is yeah. so quality. The the dialogue is perfect. It's just a, yeah, it's, it's just. A, I think the only time they had them was the catatonic stage. Like they were at the beach for the first bit, then they went to the pool. That sort of went on a little bit, but yeah. not. I wouldn't say it was super long, but they that they bounced into that for quite a while. Yeah, they do. They do. Yeah. Okay. That apart from that, I don't think there's anything wrong with it. Okay. The bad. Start with you, Dan. What do you got? I had such an enjoyable experience watching this again. I didn't, and I'm usually the fuckwit on here that picks apart anything. And I don't know if it was nostalgia overload or whatever, but there was not one thing that I just thought that shit. And obviously there's some giant leaps of faith with how they're able to pull the wool over the eyes of the adults in the film. And that's the central premise is that the kids are able to outsmart adults the whole way through. But I just, Gauss mentioned it a few times, like it's just a fun role. And there was nothing at, that even a cynical fuckwit like me just went, oh, yeah, that, that's, oh, that's too implausible. Fuck off. That was just part of the romp. 
it's hard to disagree with that because I covered, is this the best day off? Cameron's a tough hang. Let's get married. Even the French restaurant, like, like just things that they did throughout the, that's the only thing I go back to seeing Sloan and I go, I'm spending eight hours in the sack. So right? what, are, what are we doing? We take a day off. Obviously, it's going to be very different to teenagers in, in the very central Chicago, but when we, wouldn't have, we wouldn't have done anything remotely as cool as that. Mate, we would have but they in. weren't in Little Chicago. They were out in the suburbs. Their home's in the suburbs. No, no, yeah, sorry. What I'm saying is that, yeah, okay, and Matthew, Matthew, we decided to take off, take a day off. There's no way in history we're doing anything as remotely no, no. as interesting and cool as these kids do. No, like, mate, no, we, we definitely weren't going to a museum. The best, of course not. I, the, the, of course not. If I took a day off, it was usually just to hang with some people and go That's to someone's it. house that their parents yeah. went home and we fuck around there. But I think the, in terms of an event, we went and saw Terminator 2, skipping school, Dan. And that's, that's cool. probably, if I think about an event, that, that'd be the only time that I went, I'm going to do something. Most times it's And we would have thought that was the sickest, sickest day there. ever. Yeah. And that was one, one part of their day. Like, no, yeah. I, I think that they've crammed a lot in, I think. Ferris Rillers obviously planned this in his mind, and uh, she yeah, says I, that at the end. She says that at the end. She goes, "You had, you've had this plan. You had this plan this morning. She, he'd had this plan." But why didn't he plan just to take her home? And I don't get up, it, mate. I tell you what, there's plenty of daylight. It's game on. So, it is game yeah. on. So the thing is, he had to get her out of school for sure, and we needed Cameron, and for he that. needed Cameron for that because he didn't have a car. That's fine. So he had to get Cameron right. But then Cameron didn't want to hang around. I'm telling you, I wagged plenty of days where I was a third or fourth wheel and there were people rooting in the parents' bedroom. But, plenty yeah, of. Yeah, that's right. But Cameron wanted to take the car home after that anyway. He went to Egypt's land. <laughs> yeah. Let my <laughs> Cameron. When Daniel lived in <laughs> Noosa land. <laughs> okay. I, I don't think, yeah, you got anything for bad? I went through it. Yeah. 17 year old with all the cash. The only other thing was. They went to a ball game. They must have been there for one inning. One inning, yeah. It's swing, Kennedy, Kennedy, swing. What does that fucking mean? Have you guys no looked idea. into that? No idea. But it's become it's, something that we've repeated a, no, for it's, 40 it's, it's a baseball thing. It's a baseball thing. It's a baseball thing. Hey, batter, batter, swing, batter. He yeah. can't hit, he can't hit, he can't, can't hit. Can't hit, can't hit, can't hit it. So yeah. it's obviously something that gets yelled at at the game. Yeah, they say it at the game, Jay. It's your American Have you, chewing We've all chewing been to baseball games. How fucking boring is baseball to watch from the stairs? Love it. Oh, Love it. You're, when we were over there, Morgan, after you left, you and Sam, if we went down to San Diego after that, we went to a game down there. Yeah, and we were Padres. sitting in the stands with all these, yeah, with all the Padres fans. And they were like, every t- and they were obviously people that they had the same seats each week that we'd got some seats in the middle. Every time someone hit a ball that just went out into the field, that like hitting a single, they were all up out there high-fiving. Everyone got up, they were Cheering Love every, every we, base which, hit, they were cheering. What game did we go to, Gail, on our travels? We went to the uh, Mariners? We went to Kansas City, we went to Kansas City Royals. and yep. Seattle uh, Mariners? Yeah, we were in Seattle, and yep. Ken Griffey Jr. was playing. That's right. Because, yeah, there were some superstars of the game. Yeah, A-Rod was playing. Yeah, Alex Rodriguez. He hit a home right. run. Ken yeah. Griffey Jr. hit a home run. Yeah. And, they, and that big Randy, he was the- Randy Johnson. Randy Johnson. Oh, Randy Johnson. Yeah. With the big the mullet. The big, yeah. He was playing That's as well right. for the Can- yeah. Kansas City, I think. Or was he, would he have been Seattle? He would have been with Seattle, yeah. Okay. He went to the Yankees after that. Okay. Look, there's not a lot of bad, but I do have one thing for the ugly. Who's sending a horogram to a high school school? Yes, that was awesome. Okay. Okay. Yeah, okay. It's funny. But the guy's a minor, right? 
How Who? good is old mate, the flower delivery man who's on the, the left-hand side of the screen, who is from the Eddie Murphy and Arsenio Hall bit in Coming to America. He's the pretty soon you make a system manager. That's, That's when, when the all the big bucks are coming in. Bucks. So, which so was that, the same year. So that then is one of the best parts of the movie again that I laughed at. Da, 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 da. Uh, and he sticks okay. the fit, mate. I again out loud cacking. We're done with good, the bad, the ugly. It's time for Morgz's quick fire. Take it away, Dan. Yes. Thank you, F Wits, and thank you for last week for the very strong feedback about the shit things that Gal likes. As I said, it wasn't meant to be a piss take. It is actually things that we love about Gal, but. For quick fire this week, that's not a knife for scenes that have passed over into popular culture. Gents, this is the first movie in a long time where there are so many scenes that have passed over into popular culture. I think they actually surpass Mick Crocodile Dundee and his That's Not a Knife scene. Pick one at random, gal. What do you think? Oh, there's a million in this movie. It's the entire movie to me was yeah, it pretty much is. Roll call. Yeah. Roll call. Yeah, the singing, the singing on the cars, all those songs. The uh, if you don't go, if you don't hear someone going, oh, Adams, yeah, Adamansky, like, how Adams many A's Lee. are in that class? There's so many A's. Yeah, yeah. And then he, he goes, I think he goes from B to F. So like that, there's all the A's, and then there's no CDEs, and it's just straight to F or whatever. That's just one yeah. of them, but no, no th- this this the, film. The music, I, what's the music called? The Doom Bowl. Oh, oh yellow. yellow, 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 yeah. That oh, I mean, yeah. that became bold, so famous bold. after this. Sure, I enjoyed the whole soundtrack. It's one one of the bits I enjoyed yeah. the most was the final chase scene where he's running to get back in in front of his sister to enter the house. The music there I thought was incredible, so it just really grabbed me this time. And how did they get the rights to John Williamson's piece from Star Wars? For uh, when the uh, when the car attendants steal the Ferrari, that was what yeah. I was thinking. Okay, a big chunk of the budget has gone into this right now. Uh, but it yeah, went for only with three seconds. It probably cost them ten million. That's it. No, well, no six shit. million dollar budget. I reckon ten percent of the budget went on that pieces. I do not disagree. Do not yeah. disagree. Yeah. So I, look, I would say that this is the film, the one film we've done in the last sixty where it just pisses all over Mick Crocodile Dundee. So there we go. Yeah. Philip Stuckey in Pretty Woman, Jason Alexander's character for the biggest douchebag. So obviously there is Ed Rooney is set up as the heel in this. He's set up as the antagonist. But was there anyone else that really pissed you off? The maitre d' at the French restaurants. He is particularly snooty and bad. Again, it's that setup of all oh, the kids are going to outsmart the adults. But yeah, he, were, he, he did a very good job of being a douchebag. No, I totally agree. Yeah, that's really about it. I think there's knows. no real douchebag. You know, Ed Rooney's not a douchebag. He goes around to a student's house and crawls through the back door. But apparently, <laughs> he does cross the line. In. He does cross the line. But then Ferris the crosses the line too. Sure. So what but is a no dean? One. A dean of students? Because Gal, you referred to him as the principal before. I don't think he was the principal. I think it's a. I think the dean's the principal. Definitely. He's okay. The principal. Yeah. Because yeah. the dean's often the heel in lots of films, like Animal House, Springs to, to Mind. Back to school, exactly. Like he's always the old school. The, old school, Piven. yeah. <laughs> and we talked about old school before, but the first half of that movie is fucking outstanding, and then the back half is just terrible. It's yeah, a bit like the, you. The, it's a bit. 
What are you talking about? My first half was deplorable, but I'm living my best life now. Come on, Morgs. It's quick fire. This is supposed to be quick fire. Oh, sorry. Let's go. Maggie Grace running, obviously replaced Ripley because we didn't want to take the piss out of her again for a particularly shithouse display of athletic prowess. I, we said before, Ferris Fuller, Matthew Broderick, is actually quite talented and is witnessed in his running skills. Was there anyone in here that you thought, oh, God, they've got no gross motor skills? Everyone in the gym class running. Oh, the running on the ground. Yeah. <laughs> if we played by the rules by around that, we'd be yeah. in gym class. We'd be in gym class. Gal, how time, many times have we said that in our lives? Oh, thousands. Thousands. <laughs> thousands. If we play by the rules. I reckon I said that this week. Like, it's literally, but yes, Matthew White, good pickup. By the back, looks like he's going to die. There's about three of them look like they're going to die. Looks like me doing cross country. Outstanding. We missed the cast of Caddyshack for anyone actor in the film that doesn't quite get the tone of the movie. I think this is one of the only movies where everyone is completely on board with the director's vision. What do you, yeah, yeah what do you guys think? Yeah, no, I don't think there's anyone that's out of place here. Robot Sentries for a scene that you wanted to see to learn more a bit about the cast in this particular film, a la the Robot Sentries in Aliens, the movie where we learn about how much shit the Space Marines are in. I what didn't you know about this film from the very tight, what was it, Body 97? 107, 107. Yeah, yeah, 107 movies. What uh, what did we know that we needed to know? Oh, I might have preferred to have seen Ferris Bueller's Day In. So. <laughs> yeah, Cameron seeing her getting undressed would definitely yes. been a huge highlight of that day, G-Man. Oh, mate. He's... Oh, creepy Cameron. Yeah. Cameron knew what was going on. It was a big, it was just a grand plan. Creepy Cameron had a grand plan to see some of Sloan Spoonge, and he's got years of wank bank. Outstanding. So he's, got, he's changing the snotty tissues to the happy tissues. This is good. And you mentioned before that you were a fifth wheel on many dates back in the day. Was there any that spring to mind? Oh, look, there a few days we spent at stencils, right in <laughs> schools at stencils, and a couple of the less or more fortunate People were had other people to touch their pee-pee and not have to touch their own pee-pee. People so, love people. A few times I was outside with a cushion on my lap and someone was in the master bedroom. But anyway. Say no more. It didn't go any further. Finally, what is Brad Pitt for the an actor that you would like to do what you would hope Ferris Bueller was doing to Sloane off camera? Anyone in there that obviously Sloane, let's remove her from the voting. Anyone throughout the movie? I've got a couple. Go. So Christy Swanson's in the roll call. She is. She is the, the she's got and quite probably, a bit of dialogue. Yeah. Yep. And I'd probably like maybe 10 years post Ferris. She's even, she's at her peak, but. So she obviously was in the original, the, the, vampire the vampire movie. Slayer. Yeah. But yep. then Sarah Michelle Geller took over in the TV series, which you've been watching recently with your family and found out that it maybe was age inappropriate a couple of times. The big time, big time. That gets very sexual once they go to college, but look. I reckon there's a girl, the girl in the arcade, the your ass is mine. Just when, he thinks, when he very thinks cute. it's Ferris, she's gorgeous. Very, very nice cheekbones. A lot of probably rouge. A bit too, probably a bit too much rouge. So, Gal, I thought that some of the dancers on the podium when he does twist and shout were also highly attractive. I did zero in on them in this rewatch. I, yeah, I had a look. I didn't really look too closely. At them. I think there was, though. I think there was a couple of good sorts on the float. Yeah, they were obviously great dancers, which we all, all three of us were into back in the day. 
Look, that's it. Other shit thing, gals, like anything that really aligned itself with Ferris Bueller's Whitey. Oh, Gal likes fine foods. Yeah, I couldn't have seen Gal in Shea Louis. I'd, he wouldn't have known what to order there. So not really his bag. And not really all three of us' bag, honestly. Nah, but no, nah. nah, he looked. He certainly wouldn't have been gallivanting Bad, around museums with, with Sloan. He would have just brutal. Maybe. All right. Well done, Daniel. Now we're going to slide into a listen to this. Gow man, take it away. I've got one for you. There was a, bear with me on this one. There was a, according to a doc, a documentary in 86, Inside Story, Charlie Sheen's character was actually, did you come across this? No. His character was actually going to be called Garth Volbeck. Now there was going to be a whole backstory to him that the Volbecks were the family that Ferris's mum was showing the house to. But the Volbecks is the truck that tows Rooney's car away. The Volbeck is the truck. It's the <laughs> Volbeck's wrecking service. And a deleted backstory was going to be that Ferris and Garth, and Charlie Sheen, were friends in the eighth grade and Garth's family pretty messed up. You know, he's uh-huh, whacked down the drugs. Yeah. He's into crime. And Ferris helps him, but Garth eventually drops out and ends up in the police. That's how he knows Ferris. Because so he does know Ferris he does in know the Ferris, police right? station. And that's why Ferris was so intent on giving Cameron a good time because he feels he failed with his with, other oh, mate oh, who right. ends up on the wrong side of the tracks. Okay. So he blames himself oh. for Garth. So all that was... He lives in Lorena Court. He's on the wrong side of the tracks. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Lorena Sure, on the bad side. <laughs> that's a good one, Gal. Yeah, you like that's that? That's deep. Yeah. yeah. What about... So, deep. That was super deep. What about the, the Ferris playing the clarinet at the start? They wanted to put that in because Matthew Broderick said, yeah, no, I can play the yeah. clarinet. And then they, when he played it, he didn't know how to play it. So they're like, okay, we'll just keep that bit in. Yeah. And what about in during the parade? There's a couple, there's quite a few people there that had no idea there was a film being made. So they were like dancing and stuff and loving it. And then John Hughes caught them and like, oh, that looks sweet. We'll keep it in. They had no idea there was a film. Fucking hell. The car they use in that movie. It's not actually a Ferrari. They couldn't afford it, so they had like uh, a different car, and they just they had a, they had three different cars they used, and they just put some parts over the top because they didn't have the budget to have it actually have a Ferrari. Wow! Do you know Matthew Broderick and Jennifer Grey were engaged after this movie? Yeah, she was engaged to Johnny Depp as well after working with him. Yeah, she loved it. She yeah. loved it. She loved the co-stars. So they were saying a year later that they were after filming Biloxi Blues that they were in a massive car crash in Northern Ireland. Yeah, the two of them. Yeah, and uh, two people the mother killed. and daughter died in the yeah. accident in the other car. So it's crazy. Full on. Yeah. Yeah, we did the bit about uh, the Miyasara beats Molly Ringwald and the reasons for that. Yeah. The, the, there's another one i got here. Edie McClurg wanted to have her character's hairdo have that look from the 1960s because that's how she felt the character was. When she was, there, there was a hairdresser on set that was on there to help keep Miyasara's hair long straight. and straight. Tough job. Yeah, but and bitch. she didn't know how to do the 1960s big Honey, honey, what do you call it? Those, that style. You're know. talking to the wrong guy about hair. Beehive. Beehive, that's yes. it. That's what I'm getting at. So she did her own hair. And then when she was on there, it's like John Hughes looked at the hairstyle and just looked at her and goes, how many pencils do you reckon you can fit in that? <laughs> so that that's why they put the pencil. And that's the first scene where she's got all the pencils in her hair. That's where that came from. That's funny. Very good. Funny. Okay, so Sherma High School that's in the movie was also the school in Weird Science, 16 Candles and the Breakfast Club. Yep. Same school. He's, yeah, he's like Quarantino. He has his own kind of multiverse where he, they flow through to their movies, which I thought was very cool. Yeah. So we're saying that this is a lean 107 minutes. The first cut 
of this movie was two hours and forty five. Yeah, I'd like. I would. I would watch that in, in a heartbeat. I would. Yeah, I'd watch that. Yeah. I'd I watch would that. be very excited to watch the director's cut of this. Yeah, you'd think there would be more because obviously they go to the ball game, they go to the museum, they go to the restaurant. Yes. Like, there's a lot more in there they could unpack. Really? Okay. Got anything, Dan? Are you just letting us win yeah, it today? I, actually, no. The one thing that I noticed, and I've seen it before, but I just didn't really recognize it too hard. But by all of the license plate of the vehicles, they all align with previous John Hughes's films. So stay with me here. But basically, Katie's car is a VKTN, which is an homage to National Lampoon's Vacation. So Jeannie's is TBC, which is for The Breakfast Club. Tom's is M Mom, which is for Mr. Mom, and Rooney's is 4FBDO, which is Ferris Bueller's Day Off. So the only one that didn't really align with that was Cameron's Ferrari or his dad's Ferrari, which was nervous for obvious reasons. But uh, yeah, I thought that was very interesting. There we go. Well done, Daniel. Okay, quotables. We've been through a few. Where do you start? I'm going to defer my go here to Gao because... As I said, for the last 35 years, we Gow, we would have had a whole week of fucking dialogue between us where Gao would have just quoted this film. Oh, I don't think we've been through so many. I mean, like, there's so many. You're not sick. You just can't think of anything good to do. Mm. I'm sorry you, to hear you, that. Now, come on over here and pick me up. That one has been said a thousand times, yeah. particularly when we had P-plates. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. What's the score we talked about? There's, so, there's, well, there's obviously many. There's obviously the life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop yeah, yeah, once yeah. in a while, you could miss it. And that's Love. probably the most famous quote yeah, from the film. Definitely. But I, this is the one film where I was just completely struck by the quotability of the entire script. It, it was quite frightening. I did chuckle. Another one I chuckled at again was when Ferris comes to pick Sloane up and he kisses her and Rooney's like, so that's how it is in there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, very good. Yeah, no, the whole film is eminently quotable. It could be the most quotable movie that we've done. Oh, what are they done? Pardon my French. But you're an asshole. <laughs> Cameron, Every single scene just has one of those. So I would be hard pushed to find a more quotable film. Okay. So there is no one degree of Kurt Russell in this movie, which is a shame. We haven't how can that well. be a, how can that be true? I know. I'm sure we'll get something in the next one. <laughs> film school. The F wits. Yes. Fellow F-wits, thank you for joining us on this ride with Ferris Builders Day Off. You can tell we've telegraphed our punches a little bit with this film that we enjoy the whole setup and the whole plot line and everything. But one thing that we touched on earlier was the fact that they break the fourth wall in this. If you don't know what that is, if you think about a movie screen, you think about the, we're looking at it in two dimensions. So you're looking at the back of the screen, stage left and stage, but not often do the characters break the fourth wall and actually address us as the voyeurs or the audiences watching the film. So Ferris Bueller's Day Off is probably one of the more famous films that does break that fourth wall, but it's actually quite common in some of the films that we've looked at in Born to Watch or some of the ones that we will in the future. So in no particular order, boys, and jump in, but you probably may not remember that Wayne's World actually does this quite, quite, quite throughout, where Wayne turns and addresses us as an audience quite throughout, but it's almost the product placement that he does in that particular film is where it becomes way more overt than other films. So he's promoting Pizza Hut and a whole heap of other brands throughout the film for comedic value. But 
that they're essentially just examples of breaking the fourth wall. Do you guys remember being taken out of the viewer experience whilst you were watching that or just blended into the whole film oh, itself? No, when he's doing the advertising, he's doing Pizza Hut. He does quite a few of them. I think he does Doritos as well. And he, he's definitely, uh, the Pizza Hut, he's looking at the, That's at it. the crowd That's it. and eating the pizza. So it's an obvious piss take. It's an obvious piss take, but I think it works really well. But that's the kind of movie it works well in because sure. it, that, that movie is a bit slapsticky, a yep. bit like that. So they can get away with that. I think, yeah, that's a really good point. And it is, I guess, for us, it probably is more apparent in comedic films that it turns up in. But there are dramatic films that it is also more apparent, if not a bit more subtly. So American Psycho, the Brett Easton Alice bit with Brett Easton Alice Ellis with Christian Bale actually do something similar, but they do it a little bit more subtly. So Christian Bale's looking at his business cards that he's just got and they're embossed and he's trying to actually flex on the other characters with having the best business card in that particular scene. So we're watching Christian Bale and the other characters in that particular scene and listening to the dialogue, but we're actually transported to his internal monologue which is talking about something differently and is actually addressing us as the audience. Whilst it's not as obvious as Ferris Bueller's and Wayne's World, it still is an example of breaking the fourth wall because he's talking to us as the voyeurs or as the audience in there. So is that something you guys picked up on or have seen that movie recently? Yeah, I've read the book and the book is all fourth wall. Like you can just imagine it in the film. I do remember in the movie that it is, but yeah, it's a, good, it's a really good movie. It's a fucking disturbing book. It's, no, I agree. It's, it, and the book is extremely disturbing. I, I think you probably introduced me to that book, Whitey, yeah. and I remember reading it. It's fucked up. And the movie is probably diluted somewhat, but is still particularly messy, that film. But yeah, that was interesting. In, in looking back at cinema experiences where they break the fourth wall, it didn't immediately recognize, I wasn't, didn't immediately recognize that as one. But now that it, we look at why and how directors use that as a device, to engage us, it was different in that what Gao said, it's normally for comedies, but it actually worked. But he, another, he does it quite a bit because he's talking about Huey Lewis and the news. And he's, that's he's, right. He's effectively right. talking about his, his lifestyle to the audience. It just, it's very odd. It's a very, it's a very, it was the first time I'd really ever noticed it. Agreed. Something similar though, again, staying in that dramatic vein was uh, the Fight Club, which we talked a lot about on this podcast, and we all love David Fincher, and we all like that particular film, but it, as far as exposition in a film, which is basically trying to bring us as an audience up to speed with what's happening in the background and explaining what's happening, Fincher does it really seamlessly in this. So Edward Norton is often telling us as an audience what's going on and addressing us directly, but I would argue that we don't really pick up on it as a breaking of the fourth wall. It's certainly not as obvious as Ferris Bueller, but it's probably as much as Ferris Bueller, an example of, of how the director uses multiple fourth wall breaks to keep us up to speed with what's happening in the film. Is that something you guys remember as happening a lot in that film? I must say, honestly, I didn't remember it at all until well, I... Well, I reckon most definitely, I think the whole Tyler Durden backstory is fourth wall. Yeah. So everything about Tyler Durden is told is breaking the fourth wall. It's either Tyler looking at the screen, talking about when he was the projectionist and putting his dick into the films, whether he's pissing in the into the soup. Everything is told to the audience. Everything to do with Tyler Durden and his backstory is breaking the fourth wall. And it is done so freaking well that it, it feels actually just like you're involved in a conversation with him. That's it. That's it. And because when you yeah. said Fight Club, I go, it's 
all the exposition in Fight Club is essentially breaking the fourth wall. It's it is genius. It it's is, so it like Finch is the master. It was the master. It's just incredible. That's yeah. it. And then look, two others again in, in in the comedic vein, but probably dramedies if we're honest. But two recent films and two that I unabashed. I know at least one of them that's going to be. Yeah, nice. look, The Wolf of Wall Street and The Big Short. So two films that I, they were in my top 10 or my top 18 of films. <laughs> thank you for rectifying that. Yes, yeah, thank you. That's it was top it. So obviously I went off a little bit off script when we were talking about our top 10 and I added eight that were in the, the 2010s and two of them were The Wolf of Wall Street and The Big Short and both of them used the technique of breaking the filth wall. So... Obviously, Leo DiCaprio's Jordan Belfort in The Wolf of Wall Street is often breaking away from what he's doing with her in the scene and talking to us in the film. But it, it, when it's not jarring. It doesn't take us out of the viewing experience. I think it is extremely subtle. And whilst Ferris Bueller is probably the pinnacle of achieving that, The Wolf of Wall Street also, Scorsese just done it brilliantly. And then The Big Short, which is Adam McKay and Will Ferrell built, again, like you've got Margot Robbie sitting in a bubble bath explaining to us bits and pieces about this film because it's obviously about an intricate financial crimes, the 2008 financial crisis, things that we would normally not give a shit about in an entertaining romp of a movie, but they're able to use the breaking of the fourth wall to convey all of this information and still keep us amazingly engaged. G-Man, is that something that you remember from viewing The Wolf of Wall Street in the big shot? Yes. Excellent insights. Too much. Again, it's it done right, done by the best. It's the perfect way for exposition because it can be really, I reckon, the other way where if you leave it up to a character to become expository within, well, the, the, uh, within, within the dialogue, it can feel really jarring. Done the, this way where you're involving, especially with the big short, very clever, where it's very boring, the stuff. It's very, it's high level shit. And so, to lighten the mood a bit and have Margot Robbie in a bubble bath, have Anthony Bourdain in a restaurant like cooking, have Selena Gomez, have these people that are giving this actual really important information to, that's actually key rather than having it's been told in a conversation by Steve Carell and Bible exposition. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, If they can do it properly, you can invite the audience in. For sure. You can invite them in and make them feel part of that whole scenario, but it's got to be done the right Absolutely. way. So you can, that's what you were saying before, Morgs. It's easy to do it in a comedy because uh, we can slapstick it like Blazing Saddles does, yeah. does it as well. Like It's easy to do it in Wayne's world because you can throw it in there. Yeah. And Deadpool does it really well as well, where Ryan yeah. just you, continuously... You, you pre- You've totally preempted me, but yeah, I was going to say, as far as my favourites, and that I'm not a huge fan of superhero movies, but Deadpool, I think 2016, probably has done it the best over the last sort of 10, yeah. 20 years with uh, with completely turning the action hero film on its head because Ryan Reynolds turns to us as the audience and is wisecracking throughout the whole time. And he, he does it multiple times throughout. And I think that's probably of superhero movies, the one that I've really enjoyed over the last decade because of the way that the director does this and because the actor, Ron Reynolds, is able to pull it off so much. So, yeah, I, I, as a technique, it is not that common, but it's not that uncommon. But I think those few films that we looked at, there's some Goodfellas also does it. Like, we, we fucking love Goodfellas. And Scorsese has the characters talking to the camera and talking to us quite throughout. So Ray Liotta often comes in and tells us what we need to know about what's happening in that amazing, incredible film. Absolutely. Good film school, Dan. Well done. Done by the best. 
breaking the fourth wall can be exceptional. Done by amateurs, it can be fucking dreadful. So for now, it's kick-ass credits song. And on the stage tonight, it's Dan on the land. Take it away, mate. Yeah, so I've, I've spoken quite a bit today about my thoughts on the miscasting of adults as teens. So Ferris Bueller, Beverly Hills 90210, uh, pieces of content that don't actually take much notice of actors having to be anywhere near their age to perform as a teen in a role. So uh, with that, I thought I would uh, use Kick-Ass Kedit's song to pay homage to a, a, a real dark art of the film industry and one when I'm looking to move forward with any of my projects. It's, uh, it's, it's making sure that the casting director is chosen wisely because they are such a huge part of the filmmaking process. So without further ado, this Stan Bush Kick-Ass Credit song is called Casting directors. Here we go. Casting directors around the world, miscasting adults as teens. It's a nuanced profession that needs more attention to align with that mise-en-scene. Sometimes I believe they're just taking the piss, choosing the cast on a whim. When all said and done, it must be tons of fun playing teens and chasing the trim. That's absurd, Eddie McClurg, piss and moan, Jeffrey Jones, did you lick it, Sidney Pickett, Pivotal Scene, Charlie Sheen, Jonathan Schmock, what a cock, Ben Stein, blew my mind, Louis Anderson, feeling random man, Matthew Broderick, Matthew Broderick, nothing rhymes with Matthew Broderick, what the fuck, Alan Ruck. Casting directors, what are you thinking? Is it because kids, does all suck? Casting directors, oh yeah, no. <laughs> oh yeah, no. I see Morgs is not uh, adhering to his own nah, he, he, his own policies on song lines. That was the bridge. Yeah, what's the bridge? Yeah, it's always the bridge. There's a bridge too far. So now, star of the show. Who you got, G-Man? I'm going to go with the star of the show with Ed and Grace. I'm going to go with the dynamic between them. I really enjoyed it. I would yeah. say Ed Rooney, to me, is a star. Look, Matthew Broderick really good in this movie. Does really well with what we're just talking about. I think he commands that really well. He's got great charisma, but that's the straightforward pick. I really like the dynamic between those two. I think that adds, and I think Ed Rooney as the antagonist in the movie is really good. Yeah, good call. Good call. Dan, what do you got? My star of the show is John Hughes. He was... Look, my 80s childhood was what it was because of the films of John Hughes. Off the top of my head, The Breakfast Club, Weird Science, and this Ferris Bueller's Day Off were some of the pinnacle points of my film watching history back then. So I can't go past that. I think this is an incredible film, and John Hughes is most of why this was incredible. John Hughes is a legend. I'm going with Ed Rooney. <laughs> movie movie doesn't work without him. I know everyone else is amazing, but Jeffrey Jones, hats off to you. Incredible character that is still as good today as it was in 1986. It was great to revisit Ferris. I hadn't watched it for a few years, so it was good. And it held up. It's still a quality film. There's no doubt. Let's move into the rank bank. Get some feedback from you guys. Okay, so... Tonight's choice, I got genuine cameos after Charlie Sheen. That is a genuine cameo. Good call. Yeah. Sausage Kings. Hey, Par- Froman. Parade Floats. 
leopard print vests. We didn't mention that about Ferris's leopard print vest. And I've got underrated 80s movie girlfriends. Anything else we want to add in there? I like underrated 80s movies girlfriends. I think that's, that's good. Really What's wrong with that guy? So we'll start with you up on the land there, Dan. How many underrated 80s movie girlfriends are you giving Ferris Bueller? So I, I've given a few fives out on this podcast, and one of the fives I gave out was Lethal Weapon because just because I enjoyed the movie experience. So I, it could be ripped apart. That is not a five movie. But for me personally, that is a five out of five movie. And I'm going to say the Ferris Bueller, it's exactly the same. I watched this movie at all 107 minutes last night and there was not one dead spot. I could recite all of the dialogue. It was a pure nostalgia trip, but I loved every fucking second of it. It wasn't a chore. I watched it from go to woe. It's five out of five. Go and fuck yourself if you don't agree with me. Five. Well done, Dan. You're, you're a bit of a five giver, Adara. And G, for, the, for that which I love, it will get a five. For that which I dislike, it will get a two and a half. Okay, cool. G-Man, what do you got? You, you have some range in your fives, Morgs, too. You've also. got some range. You've yeah. got some range. That's there, good. There's no rhyme nor reason for some of these. I think that, they are your favorite. No, that's what I'm saying. That's how he lives his life. I think that, I think that these must be your favorites because there's some different movies, yeah. like different genres, I would say, for of sure. movies. What do you um, got, G-Man? Look, I enjoy this. This is a good movie. You can put it on and watch. I wouldn't watch it that often anymore. It is fun. We've quoted all over the years. I, it's always something you can flick on and have a good time. You, Morg's exactly right. There's no dead spots in this movie. There's no bad bits. It's just a good, fun flick. I'm going to give it four. Four underrated 80s movie girlfriends from Gare. I really enjoy this. I probably haven't seen it as much as you, Dan, but and I actually really enjoyed it this time. It's not a five for me. It's a very good movie, though. It gets 4.25 for me. And that's only because I looked at what movies I gave higher ratings to. And I was like, it's probably not as good as those films. It's a great movie. It will be revisited again. So, G-Man, where does that put Ferris Bueller in the rank bank? So, that puts us at 4.42 underrated 80s movie girlfriends. Now, that's right above Top Gun Maverick at 4.33 hard decks. That's wow. a big call. And it is one spot below Big Trouble in Little China at 4.44 knee-high suede boots. So bringing us in at spot number 12. That's higher than I thought this movie would be. No, I think that's spot on. For me, that's an appropriate spot. So it's above Top Gun Maverick. It's above Seven. It's above Die Hard, Full Metal Jacket. Yep. First yep. Blood. Yeah, well, obviously. Well, we, we, know Dan, we, know how, yeah. we know what Dan thinks about First, first Blood. First nearly blood. killed a friendship. First Blood got reamed. First Blood. So just outside the top 10 for Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Now, if you loved Ferris, what are you going to love? Yeah, take it away. Look, I had a look at this, and I came up with Risky Business. Oh, you Good fucking sleep, sneak. Good for you. You both picked the same thing. I picked Whiskey Business yeah. as well. It's well played, played. A similar well played. young guy out. Absolutely. Playing it up, doing crazy stuff. Except he's smart. He stays home and bones his girlfriend. Yes. But uh, yeah, very similar. Uh, left, a, who left, he alone, for? left alone at home. Got the portion at his disposal. Out there creating havoc. It's a great movie. Risky but yeah, Business. really good movie. Definitely worth a watch, people. Tom Cruise at his young best. At his young best. Before he went off the rails. Dan, what do you got? Oh, I couldn't go past. Look, there's two films, so I'm gonna I'm gonna give a quick nod to The Breakfast Club, 
from 1985, another John Hughes bit, which I just loved as a kid. And it's obviously passed over into popular culture and something we've referenced a lot on this pod. So I won't go into it too much, but something that's more contemporary was actually Booksmart from 2019. Did you guys see that? I haven't seen it. So really, basically the girl version is super bad. It's a, it's a couple of high school girls who have spent their whole entire high school career studying and not really enjoying themselves. And they go out on, it's a one night to place in time where they go out and cut sick. And it was extremely funny. And Jonah Hill's, Jonah Hill's sister actually stars in it. So it's a, it was directed by Olivia Wilde. If you haven't seen it, it's, a, it's one of those contemporary teen films that I, you normally wouldn't have come across because you're old as balls. But if you did take the time to go and watch it, it's actually really good. So go and check it out. Excellent. Good call. Couple of good movies there. That's it. Another cracking episode of Born to Watch. Ferris Bueller sits just outside the top 10. And we've got an interesting one coming up. We're going into the sports movie Pantheon for our next film. Blue Juice. Not Blue Juice. Big Not Wednesday? North Shore. Big Wednesday? Not Big Wednesday. Oh, it should be Big Wednesday. And we mentioned Denzel Washington earlier in this podcast, and I was... If I was going to be asked what I thought would be the first Denzel Washington movie that we would do on Born to Watch. It'd be Training Day. I didn't think it would be this one. Training Day is not a sports movie, Dan. Good call. Yes. But thank you. The Equalizer. (laughs) Yes. 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 Well done. Left side. Strong side. And Gary Boutier. Yes. Oh, what a good flick. Good choice. Was this your choice, Gal? You always no, choose yeah. fucking no. six don't be things. So, don't be humble, Daniel. This was your choice. It was my choice. Yes. I'm hoping, Fwitz, that you have seen this film or have seen it recently. But yes, very interested in how our commentarati is going to take it on. Look, Dan's trying to redeem himself after a couple of alternate choices, which have been okay, but he's gone more mainstream. A great sports Absolutely. movie, but it's Disney much film? deeper than that. Disney film, yeah. Disney film, some, definitely. Some it's huge end. stars and some early roles for Superman. Hayden Panettiere. Absolutely. Yeah, she's, Ryan Gosling. is incredible. Daughter, yeah. She's incredible. This will be fun. I've not actually seen this movie very much, so my overs and unders will be quite interesting. I will set this and pray to God that I can be reasonably close to it. Looking forward to revisiting it. I probably haven't seen this movie for probably six or seven years. Yeah, I'm the same. But it's going to be a cracker. It is on, for our Australian listeners, it is on Disney+. Plus. So get your homework in. Get on the Watches Unite page on Facebook. Show us what you're doing. Send us some questions. Love us. We love the feedback. For now, it's bye for now. Peace out, team. Christ. Poochie, poochie. Look what Uncle Ed has for you, little fucker. <laughs> Sleep tight, Pooch. Thank you for listening to this episode of Born to Watch. To join us on our journey into some of our favourite movies of all time, you can find us on all good podcast networks like Spotify and Apple Podcasts. If you like what you hear, Give us a five-star review and share with your friends.